Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is a conversation with Jeremiah Ross, who is known to the music world in New Zealand under the name Module. I knew Jeremiah in the early 2000s when he started releasing records uh, on loop and he collaborated a lot with Rian Sheehan and uh, Gramsci, Paul McClaney and a few other people. Um, and I, I, I knew him pretty well. We used to catch up and have chats. I enjoyed uh, talking to him. Fascinating musical mind, extreme talent. He dropped off the radar. I didn't know where he went. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people wondered, why did he stop making music? Well, this is a deep conversation, and um, I want to preface this by saying, first of all, I didn't uh, want to parade Jeremiah's mental health. He contacted me and was very keen to have a chat, and was very keen to have that chat recorded. I'm obviously not a mental health professional and have no background in anything to do with the services. I just enjoy talking to people. This is a very frank conversation. I hope no one is triggered by this, but uh, I'm I'm in awe of how um, Jeremiah has... Uh, handled his harrowing mental health journey and here he unpacks that. So he had a psychotic episode, uh, more than one in fact, that took him out of the game if you like. Um, He was suffering from delusions and uh, he documents here uh, a period of homelessness. Uh, He's on his way back, he's fighting uh, every day to get back to making music. It culminates in just recently him being on stage in Wellington with Fly My Pretties as a kind of welcome back to the music world. He's making music again, he's seeking to release new music. Under the name module I think he's thinking about doing stuff under his own name or another name as well. This is a really deep conversation that I had. It was amazing to reconnect with him. I went out to his flat and he played me some of his new music. Uh, You'll hear him tinkering around on an acoustic guitar in the middle of this interview. Uh, It goes pretty deep and I'm uh, grateful that he trusted me with this story. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to this and take something from this. I think it's really important to share stories like this. We... um, There are people listening to this that will have gone through something like this, if not themselves, then with someone they know. Um, And that, that to me, I think is the real truth and beauty of this conversation. Also, I'm a massive fan of Jeremiah's musical talent. I love reconnecting with the module albums. I think they're beautiful. So um, I hope you enjoy that. And maybe this is your first time discovering his music. Check it out. He's brilliant. So my thanks as always to T-Leaf T and Yeastie Boys. This is me talking with module Jeremiah Ross. Because when I was younger, I got, I, I got put forward like a couple of years when I was at school. Mm. When I was in, because I got, I got put into foster care when I was four. So um, basically, my dad was in, just not very good to my mum, and my mum wasn't very well, and it all just turned to chaos. Mm. Sips came along, but oh yeah, here's a bloody situation we can sort out. <laughs> what, did, what, what did you know of that? Like when what I was you, yeah, what do you remember directly? I remember everything. I remember yeah, yeah. all of the people, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance for me to basically make a big noise about it if I want. It's 14, it's, you know, 10 years of, no, 14 years of my life, I was stolen from my family, put in a situation, I'm abused, beaten up, stabbed, dragged behind cars, locked in cupboards. So, I mean, I've made no noise about that. Yeah. I, you know, and that's what contributed to my depression. Mm. It, it was a, a feeling of odds, you know, the two polar opposites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It is what it was. Wow. But, you know, like, um, I kind of, it was, growing up was a cross between uh, making really good friends and just trying to survive. This was in Palmerston North? In lots of different in, places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But all around the... Around that area, the, yeah. That area, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, um... Oh, yeah. You right? 
Let it be Helen. <laughs> Everyone loves me. <laughs> it's Helen. Hi. This is Simon. This is Simon. We have Hi. Recording. We started recording. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you know what I'm good. You look nice today. Thank you. You have a cute little mini dress thing. <laughs> um, yeah, where were we? Back to, back to that. But yeah, I mean, like, my Sips history, man, was, um, was, was what it was, you know? Um, it was just, it was an unfortunate byproduct of that time when resources weren't really, you know, put, thought wasn't put into it, mm. in my opinion. Mm. I was, you know, I went through it, so, you know, and now that I'm older and can kind of see the process of what actually it was, which mm. was a government agency designed to take children out of dangerous situations and put them into places that were meant to be temporary. Yeah. But a lot of times, you know, a lot of us kids that were there long term um, didn't stay there, mm. long, you know, short mm. term. We got put from next place to next place to next place. I was very smart at a young age, extremely smart. Um, they thought I was a bit nuts kind of smart mm. so you know the old assessments the old psychological reports the old you know you know what do you think Jeremy and I told them very clearly at a very young age what I thought of their business mm. <laughs> to their faces mm. <laughs> where did where did um, I mean I, I can get some sense of it but where not so much where did music come in but how did music come into <clears throat> this for you because I can see that it became the escape the, it became more than the escape yeah, yeah. it became it became the lifeline the lifeline yeah, yeah the only thing that made yes, sense the constant me. yeah it yeah. was it was the constant mm. I mean pretty much when I was a, a, my first memory of being alive is uh, someone playing the accordion so I would have been like two or three or something. Wow, yeah. So I, I have a very, very stupidly strong visual memory. Yeah. When it, and actually, if I wasn't a musician, I swear to God, I'd be a film director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. it's just that somehow that's the medium that my brain mm. likes more than anything else. Mm. It makes sense. Music makes sense to me because mm. it's very pattern and cyclic and all those other. Yeah, I was going to say, like, my understanding, I mean, like, we, just to go back a sec, we, I mean, we know each other. We haven't, we haven't seen each other for a long time. But mm. I, you know, I wouldn't say we're like, we're ever super close mates, but we've, we've hung out a few times. Yeah. And I, I love your music, and I guess that's how I got to know you. But I remember you visiting the record store I worked in in Manor's Mall, and I remember, you know, yeah. just we knew a lot of the same people and stuff. Yeah. And so I always thought that you had the kind of musical brain that was also very mathematical. Like, it's extremely mathematical. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the, I mean, if I go deep into that, like, when I got into video games mm. and basically I, I created my own virtual audio system that um, rivals what they sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Mm. <laughs> so I mean like it was, I kind of, when I was working in the radio station in Palmerston North, I um, basically channeled all that kind of knowledge I guess. I got taught analog signals and how they work, compression, mm. limiters, mm. EQs, auxiliary scenes, returns, submixes, groups, the whole lot. Um, radio waves are really interesting because they just basically bounce off the atmosphere and ping around the whole entire earth and mm. do whatever they do, go out into space and go on forever. Like, I'm really fascinated by that. Mm. So, so, like, um, yeah, I mean, I learned, I was really good at writing and I was really good at you know, maths and science when I, was at, when I was at school, which I didn't really do because I was being moved around by sips every five seconds. Mm. But, mm. So, like, um, um, when I was growing up, it was like I just found music for me as a way to kind of escape into this other world where I, I could channel those kind of intense energies I was feeling and I just mm. created my own little world in my head mm. uh, around my music. And was it, I mean, I guess you're a pianist primarily. Yeah, and my granddad and my, my nana mm. in Palmerston North, 
Uh, my granddad died at a young age, and my nana was um, working in the opera house um, as a cleaner. She mm. used to clean the opera house. Mm. So um, there were pianos around. Yeah, I was going to say, was there what was there in the family, and also I'm what, the only I'm the only one. You're the musician. Yeah, it's just my sister's into photography and art. Yeah. Sorry, is this all right? Yeah, it's fine, man. Um, and 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 what about formal instruction? Like, so what? I got I got taught in between. There were times in some of the foster homes I got channeled into getting lessons, mm. and basically um, I got a really good music teacher. And I also met this really trippy kind of old fella that used to play um, the, the organs in the churches mm. and, and, and fielding. Mm. So this guy was basically like, one through five makes a chord. Mm. One, there's only eight in a scale. There's only twelve notes between octaves. That's the maths. Mm. And he said, and he said, you want a minor? Flatten the third. And I was just like, depending what scale you're in, of course. And then he taught me that C major is, is it called a natural major? There's no black keys in it. An A minor is a natural minor. There's no black keys in it. So, like, and I said, well, how does that change the whole mood between playing, just changing two notes? How does that change to a minor to a major? Mm-hmm. And then I just saw the mess in my head at a very young age. I was like, it's actually just a simple mechanic, a language, a mm-hmm. very simple one. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and then it becomes down, deceptively simple. <laughs> I, seriously, it is, it is a very basic form of maths. Yes, but it. But it's deceptively simple in that some people do not ever develop the facility for it, yeah. even for trying. Well, and other people get it get it straight away, naturally it's in them, even without much in the way of formal scholarship. Training. But yeah. I, think it's, I think we've been, you know, it's an industry, mm, mm. you know, teaching people. Yeah. And, and you know, to make it such as, it's, it has a lot of variations around its simplicity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anyone can walk up to a piano and hit a piano note. The, the actual mechanic of you doing that doesn't stop you from doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a hand, you've got an arm, you've got a your piano, you just push it and then mm. you're, making a, you're making a noise. Yeah, yeah. So then it's just about pat- patterns and cyclic patterns and melody. Melody is patterns reoccurring. Mm. They're found all over nature everywhere else. So it's like, well, how can you use those patterns to like kind of make hooks, melodies, things that stick in your mind that you remember that you know you kind of connect to in some way and what's really interesting is like for some reason human beings have a natural built-in response to different types of frequencies different moods or or, i mean musicians call them colors Mm. Um, some people call them scales some people call them notes but it's like a minor has a specific tone or a feeling to it when you play it i mean you listen to the last 45 40 to 50 years of movie soundtracks recorded and A minor, A minor, F, G will be a reoccurring theme. Mm. It pops up and up and up and up and mm. you know, like about a hundred thousand times because it's a tried and tested kind of method to kind of spark off a certain emotional response at a given time, Mm-mm. which is what you do with music. Mm. You know, you're creating, you've got a, an area to work in. Now this is exactly what I was struck with again mm. just the other you know i started telling you before we were recording that i introduced some of your music to my son and he was straight away into it interested in it yeah. and wanted to know about it and what i was noticing before he came into the room was what i'd always felt about your music was that there's all of the maths and perhaps the science behind it yeah but it is completely and utterly emotional as well so yeah. it's serving those two polarities and that's like, what i always try yeah. to do and that's why yeah. you know like um, because some music is overly clinical and that's it yeah and some some of the best emotional music is sloppy and doesn't stand up to scrutiny but it makes you feel something yeah but yours to me and I'm emotionally, sure lots pre- of people, emo- emotionally precisional well it, yeah <laughs> it, it, it serves those two masters i'm really oh thank you simon that's great 
I mean, for me, like I, I sometimes I get challenged in my own head that um, what I'm doing doesn't fit into any category. So mm. it doesn't. I'm not actively out there trying to promote myself as mm. as as. I have trouble with that world. <laughs> I always have, mm. and because I'm. I realised at a young age, because of my history with SIPs and my foster care and my stuff I went through growing up, mm. and just me in general, it's kind of like this weird polar opposites. And so, when did you know you were going to actually try and do something with music? It's one thing it's for all, it to be the, um, uh, you know, it's the you're channeling yourself into it as a kid because yeah. it's the safe place, it's the constant. Probably around eight, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm being honest, eight or nine. What did you think that would, that you know, that would be? Just, just, I want to be a musician. I just knew I was going to be one. Mm. It was just kind of like, here's the script, Jeremy, just follow it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, that's what it felt like to me, yeah. like at a very young age. Um, yeah. I remember like, you know, I, I was a very interesting kid. <laughs> and like, you know, that kid that went through all of that stuff and then came out the other side and then channeled all that, I guess, anger and frustration. And I mean, I could have gone, you know, I watched Savage recently. Mm. It could have easily been me, man. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I was I was in those environments. I was mm. in those worlds. You know, mm. I was, you know, um, you know, I made a really, I made a choice at a young age not to let that affect me, not to let it take take me. You know, mm. not to let anger and sadness and frustration become my dominant forces. How do you make that choice? I mean, as a kid, you know, that's well, a, that's that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's an incredible um, thing to process. Well, you know, my um, my dad. Me and my dad have had a very, um, we never, I never really got to know him growing up, you know. Mm. Um, he comes from a very different world than me. He's, he's almost my polar opposite. I never really got to know him, mm. you know, he made me. Um, you know, he went through her, his hard life and that just transferred over to our hard life. So um, I feel sorry for him in that respect, that he never really got to move past that. Mm. From my opinion, mm. maybe mm. he has, I'm not him. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really judge him for that, but you know, I've, Say goodbye to my dad in my mind a long time ago, right. and, and my mother, who's um, really not well. So, like my parents, I lost my parents at a young age. You're an orphan, but they're still there. Yeah, yeah. So that feeling of like, why are these people that are supposed to care about me don't care about me? Mm. What have I done? An emotional orphan. Yeah, an emotional, but pretty much. And yeah. there's so many kids. That, I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm in the same situation now with my my daughter. Mm. I'm, I'm in basically history's repeating. Mm. You know, I can't solve the problem of why my ex-partner hates me so much. And no matter what I do or say to try and make things better, no matter what try and universes I try and recreate to make it process, she just won't budge. Wow. Hates me. Wow. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, I mean, that's all stems from the, you know, the basically the um, not being able to give money to her that she thought that she would get from my music. So. Right, yeah and, yeah. and the fact that, you know, we had a very turbulent relationship. Yeah. It wasn't completely horrible but it wasn't you know it's just we were too it was sad yeah and it, that's what triggered my depression too was losing my second family and being in a situation where i was like shit i'm mm. in the same world again mm. i mean what am i doing here like you know my music was all over the world at that stage i was working for all these companies all around the world um, yeah i want I, I, I want to talk about the i mean you seem very open to talking about the depression yeah i do want to talk about that but before we do i want to um for people listening, I want to clarify some of the musical steps that happened. When, yeah. You know, because you say my music was around the place, and I was you, and you were. But 
what was the sort of the journey of that? So you wanted to be a musician. Eight, eight years and, old, yeah. And what do you do between? I mean, you put an album out in two thousand and three. Yeah, that was so my what, first. Wait, it was my first module album. Prior, yeah. prior to that. So, so what happens in that gap in between there, well, like formatively? For oh music? yeah, my my granddad basically is an electronics engineer. So my before Sips got involved, I was basically really close with my granddad. I have very strong memories of him. Mm. I don't know half of the, if they're halfway imagined or amplified over time as what happens with memories. Mm. But like, um, I had, for some reason, this guy that was a magician that was an electronics engineer who taught used to do magic tricks. Mm. The memory of this really interesting person stuck in my head. He took me out to the. He had the shed full of electronics stuff, and he took me out there every day. They had an old piano out there. Mm. So I was basically taught how to solder things, solder things. He taught me all about circuits. He taught me all about how, um, you know, um, those connections plug into other things. I learned all about circuit design, everything. Mm. I mean, yeah, my granddad was a bit out there, mm. in a good way. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so like that, you know, I would when I wasn't learning circuits, I mean, he was building us pretend time machines with buttons and switches <laughs> and knobs. So I mean, I was already, you know, introduced into, yeah, yeah. In, into that kind of yeah, you that know, world. way of thinking. Yeah. At, yeah. a young, at a young age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, my mother um, had borderline personality disorder, which means basically her hormones affected her whole entire perceptions of herself, and she would literally turn into another person every month, every time she got unwell. Mm. So I, I had my mum, and then I had Marie. So I learnt at a young age that I had an unwell mother. And um, I was kind of, um, I just kind of accepted it. But it was tough, because she would, <laughs> she would do some crazy shit. Yeah, so that, I mean, it makes you become... Not just a different person, it makes you become two people as well, basically, yeah, doesn't I mean, it? All, one that's always on the lookout. Yeah, well, you, I mean, mental health is essentially a variation or a deviation of what is preconceived generally of the way to be. And, you know, we've all, we've all got, you know, like in music, these definitions, these scales, these notes, these chords, mm. these arrangements, we all kind of globally decide that's what's we should be doing or not be doing it at any given time. Mm. I don't know who, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. But, you know, it's there. <laughs> who makes the rules? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be some kind of unanimous <laughs> kind of, you know, cosmic feeling that we all kind of generally have and then decide that's the way to do it. Yeah. And that happens in music all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a medium, that's mental because it's just like everyone's deciding something that's popular at one minute and the next minute everyone's forgotten about it. Mm. <laughs> and then mm. the next thing comes along and the same thing happens. It's mm. just like a continual process. And being mm. doing that stuff for so long, I've gotten kind of almost privy to it, where it's mm. just like, oh yeah, mm. you know, I'm always, it's almost scheduled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can kind of, dick, you know, get a feeling for what where people are at, yeah, you know, yeah. musically, and and mm. you know, that's, you know, and that comes from a lot of work, you know, and a lot of interesting different projects. I've kind of got a bit of a vibe as to where people are at musically and what they're feeling. Mm. And so, were you? Playing and doing the the semi cliche thing of playing in bands, being like, well, no, I was, know? I kind or were of, you in Palmerston North? Like, um, I met like it's funny because now I've kind of reconnected back with a lot of people that I did work with or did start writing songs mm. with, mm. and they've all evolved in their own careers in a really interesting way. As much as my life has been really different, like these, you know, people that I have known for like close to 20, 30 years that were all there at the start of me. Mm. with my passion and my dream to do this thing that I've got mm. in my head that makes no sense to anyone else but me. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of people thought I was nuts when I was younger because I was literally telling them, like, you know, oh, yeah, by the way, so a signal is just nothing more than a cycle and a cycle just comes from a sine wave and these, look at all these sine waves everywhere, you know. <laughs> I, was one of, I was a pretty trippy kid. Mm. Like, I just saw 
patterns everywhere mm. Na- nature in particular mm. and like nature buzzes me out hardcore like yeah yeah like what it's almost imaginary like yeah. it's the way that it does things yeah. so like that's where a lot of my um thoughts and feelings come from around life is like expressing what's around me and like just buzzing out on it sometimes because like what we're on this little tiny dot spinning around a bloody gigantic star and then you zoom out a bit and then kind of figure out where we are in the mm. solar system and, and it's you know it's in the title of all of your albums isn't yeah, it? yeah that's and, and it's funny I mean I know you're you know you've you've you, you've worked together a lot and so forth but that's where you and Ree and Shan yeah. have done some similar things in yeah. terms of the album titles not just um, reflect the mood of what you're trying to create but they reflect the mindset yeah that enabled that mood to begin with exactly it was like a kind of a uh, I guess you could call it like a zoom lens on, on the cosmos. Yeah. And, you know, both me and Rian share that same vision. Yes, well, I realise now, I'm, now I'm, you know, we're in this conversation, I'm thinking that that's absolutely how I would have met you was when you would have been working with Rian. Yeah, I love like the guy. One of the first time yeah. he did a live show or something like yeah. that, like around the time of his first album. So, like, when I was in Palmy, so basically mm. the stomach, you remember yeah, the stomach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had... So much equipment, yeah. and um, basically Craig Black and Rob and um, few and James Lissette and you know the, the people that were involved in the stomach back then, mm. scientists. Mm. God, they knew so damn much. Mm. So like, I came in with this mad vision and a complete clarity of understanding of how everything worked. They trained me basically to like, this is how you do it. You know, the analog way. Mm. So um, I, because my granddad had already shown me electronics and I knew how hard we worked, I knew how circuits worked. And then um, an interesting thing happened with me when I was in my teenage years. When computers came along, I instantly saw what they were. They were photographs of circuits. So someone was just basically, instead of, you know, they were just basically on-off switches, you know, zeros and ones, Mm. data, Mm. little tiny bits of data that basically activate zeros and ones. And there's so many of them that they can actually form pictures out of them and create digital representations of anything that you can imagine. So like I tripped out. I was mm. like, I was talking to my friend. I was going, so you, yeah, computers are just like cameras. You know, you can mm. t- you can tell them anything. They're mm. imagination machines. You can come up with anything. And now it's funny because we rely on them so much now, mm-hmm. and they create these you know global senses of communications that are you know uh, algorithm algorithm. I can't even say the word because I can't be bothered. <laughs> but like you know the algorithms that you know are programmed into these platforms that we rely on for our social communication now. Mm because we're bloody lazy, to be mm. honest. Mm. You know, we don't engage as much as we used to. So there's, there's, there's a lot I can go into mm, on that, mm. but I, I try and really hard to like not let myself become a victim to my own observations in that way. Computers, for me, have always been machines, where it's like they are something we created to express something, some part of ourselves as people mm. and amplify what we initially thought. So, I mean, like, um, quite buzzy, really, that we've created an object in time space that just amplifies what we think and feel. Mm. Like, who does that? Mm. We, we do that. <laughs> How do we even do that? You know, why are we doing that? Why did we do that? You yeah. know, so these, it's all these processes and things I've got going through my head. So, so when do you move to Wellington? So basically after the stomach, I ended up working at Radio Control. Yeah. Um, so all of that skill set that I was learning, mm. at, in the background of that time, I was basically four-track recorders, Amiga 500 computers, 8-bit samples, mm. so many floppy disks that looked like some mad scientist <laughs> yeah. laboratory. Yeah. I'd literally go down to cash converters um, when cash converters first came out back in the 80s, 90s, mm. and um, I would take my benefit money and I would blow it all on cables and, and whatever bloody equipment I could find, mm. 
anything. Mm. Bloody, I would just collect it. I still do it. I've got a really bad habit. It's out of control. Don't look in the spare room. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, anything to me can be modified, changed, and rearranged. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand the technological side of it. Yeah. And like, um, you know, um, so like, if it makes a noise, then it's an, an oscillator. Yeah. So if an oscillator is just a sound generator, and if a sound generator it only just needs mod- it only just needs modulations on top of it, so it's mm. like, how do you do that? So you just need some other thing to change its initial sound thing. And it's like, oh yeah, they run like a, you know, put your phone on the mic pickups and run it through a guitar amp, and then feedback that off that, and then record the microphone, and then record the feedback of the monitors, and you know, you get a whole other world of tones mm. and color that you mm. don't hear anymore because mm. it's all. A lot of producers and people are reliant on um, the digital technology because it's easy. Yeah. You know, and um, because it's there. Mm. You know, and, mm. and it's just not everybody, of course, but like um, it's just it's an art form within itself, the digital world. So, so like, after, oh yeah, yeah. I, I digress. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's good. I was just going to say. So, um, what are you going to do when you get to Wellington, and why Wellington? Well, pretty much, I was in the radio station, so mm. three and a four, three or four years there. So um, I was doing the ads and the production. So I was out the back in this little kind of studio, basically. Mm. So um, through friends, I met Paul McClaney, who's mm-hmm. just this magical, crazy, out-of-it, trippy poet that plays guitar, turned mm. up in Palmerston to play a gig. And um, Paul McClaney and me go back to, like, way back, and we've done some crazy shit together over the years. Um, Paul, to me, is literally like... Um, He's like David Bowie crossed with David Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like the guy is like the guy's a genius. Yeah. With the way that he has channeled his words yes. and put it into this kind of evolving kind of character performance. Mm. Wow. Mm. Cool. <laughs> and yeah. instantly I connected with him on that level, you know, on the performance level. Because in my head, I kind of I knew straight away when in order to be a musician you have to be greater than who you are. So you have to it's a performance. Mm. It's part of the part of the thing. You know, you've mm. got this other thing that you can use to kind of not promote yourself, but be. Um, depends how you want to channel your creativity. It's up to you. It's a choice you make. Some people are happy just being themselves. Other people love being characters. You know, David mm. Bowie again. Mm. Loved being Ziggy Stardust, and he morphed into like you know different types of himself. Mm. Mm. Queen, um, Freddie Mercury did it really well. You know, morphed into a super arena rock god yeah yeah <laughs> you know there's so many yeah playing a version of themselves the yeah. heightened version yeah and that's and that's and that's what musicians and artists tend to do is they mm. tend to kind of as a way to kind of i think it actually comes from finding a way to process things yeah idealize themselves and then yeah rehearse for that role yeah. while they're in it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it is, it's real time and, t- and if it works it's great it works yeah it's yeah. real time theatre yeah 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 and, and the people the funny thing is the people will let you know whether it works or not I know people are pretty yeah. damn honest about yeah. it yeah. and you know and it, and, it, and it is almost like kind of joining some crazy club <laughs> like like you know um, perception club you know and mm. breaking through those walls of perception of what people think you are Mm. versus what people know you are versus who you are mm. finding a balance between it all I mean like um, I think my mental health has allowed me to kind of let that go and just actually be who I am mm. I, I don't have any ambition to be cash money famous Mm-mm. like I look at that as a process that makes no sense to me you, overall you described um, the you know your background in terms of um, mental health history yeah. in your genetics yeah and and the um, some of the uh, circumstances that would manifest for yeah. you. But when did you become aware of 
my mental health. Yeah, your own concerns with mental health. It, I mean, was, it was really some of the stuff that would happen to me, like, other, I call it the other world, basically. Mm-hmm. I would literally go to another world. And um, it was almost like my imagination amplified growing up as a teenager. And I became, because of my mum and my, you know, my granddad, and mm. it, it runs in my family. It's, mm. It is genetic. Mm. So it's, um, it's, it's a pain. I find it, I mean, I'm able to see through it, which is great. Mm. A lot of people have trouble seeing through these illnesses. And that's why we have mental health services because mm-hmm. people can't get to the other side sometimes, and mm. you know they don't feel like they belong or they lose connection with far now family roots, end up adrift, mm. you know, lost at sea, and um, so many people have been lost because of that. You know, human beings have killed themselves, people have died, people have you know acted out against other people. It has created a really deep wound in this country, and I, I, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, the emotional reaction to that is just like, far, <laughs> you know, like um, a battle. Mm. It is a battle against life, you know, and when life becomes like that, you don't have a choice. You either die or you live, you know, yeah. and that, it comes at black and white. Mm. And I've, I've looked at that, I've looked at that world a lot, where I've got those two, those, only those two choices, I die or I live here. So I, I had to make that choice. Mm. And I couldn't die. <laughs> so I, yeah, after I did the mess, I just I can't I can't let this go. I can't stop. Mm. I can't I can't be that guy. I just I just refuse. Mm. My children would would be the pain that they would feel. The you know I couldn't do it to them. Mm. So mm. you know that's how I got myself better. Is that you know their faces in my head? Yeah, I didn't remember them very well when I got sick. Mm. And so like I just um, made that choice. To come back for them, wow. regardless of what I was feeling. Well, yeah. So that was that was the driving course, and and the music in my head at that time was nuts. The, yeah. the vision that I had around all my new work was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I thought to myself, if I am really one of these guys that is one of these full-on co- crazy composers, then this sounds about right. I mean, I'm, I try to be respectful having these conversations and 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 work out how to frame it, but it sounds to me like those two things spiralled at the same time. They did. I mean, one's enabling the other. A spark in the dark, sense. I call yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, It was because prior to, you mean, like, um, I mean, going back to the radio station yeah. and coming back to Wellington and what happened to me after I, you know, basically joined the New, New Zealand music industry. Like, yeah, so you put out, the first album was um, Not On Loop? Or yeah, it was? Remarkable Engines, yeah. That was the first album. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I, yeah. I started writing that, you know, after, I was in a lot of palmy bands, you know, I was working with people on the stomach, I was mm. working at the radio station. Mm. Um, I got really into New Zealand hip-hop, hardcore, because mm. I was on the radio station and, you know, I loved what people were doing with New yeah. Zealand hip-hop. It was a real thing around that time. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it still it was, is in some ways, but that, at that moment in time, it was a real thing. King of yeah. some of yeah. his, his subterranean, yep. subter- you know, that whole yeah. vibe that he was yep. putting out, like, yep. oh, that was choice. The, the early P-Money yeah, Scribe stuff was amazing. But just yep. like these producers and, yep. and people that were like um, all of a sudden like to me they were like poets yeah those first two Shafo albums and, oh, then yeah. there were, and then there were all of the the, the sort of more underground things those yeah. were the, the things that the big labels the were, I loved yeah, as well yeah, Savage yeah. and all them yeah. you know like you know I was and then I was like man I love this music mm. and so I mean like you know I'm, I'm a white guy from well, Harvey so like, like, <laughs> like, like Ryan's first album has Sheila Rock on it and yeah. stuff like that which which yeah. just seems so removed from what he does now yeah but that so I mean, like I, yeah. I felt the energy in the music, and yeah. it was um, it was the rhythms, it was the hip hop beats, 
it was the lyrical flows, it was the stories they were telling, it was the way that the words were tying together. Yeah. My mind liked the patterns a lot. Yeah. So like um, those feels came through. Yeah. So like um, when the people would come through, basically my friend Duncan McCarran, who's now joined my live band, which I'll tell you a little bit mm. more about later. Mm. So Duncan McCarran was the events manager for up at Massey. So he was organising all these large international national acts to come through to Palmerston North and perform at the Massey University for Musa, mm. which was basically mm. every year the, all the students would get together and have yep. a big party. Yeah. So we had this huge, gigantic kind of arena-type environment out just by the radio station where I was working. So Salmonella Dove, went and saw them live, mind-blowing. Mm. Tiki was on stage with um, his um, MIDI controllers and triggering off all these samples and beats and stuff like that. And it rockers, calm down, this is our sound, you know that. Mm. Well, it was mm. choice, and the drummer, boom, boom. Wah, 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 all that stuff like I, it just activated something in me like a switch mm. like, like mm. an electricity like just and I just kind of reacted to that and all of a sudden I went from not feeling like I was nuts to actually feeling like I was a musician that all these reactions started making sense in my head the pathway was there the pathway was there so like yeah I mean pretty much it was just activated by what was happening in the country mm, you know mm. between the hip hop between the live bands between um, the rock music I didn't connect much with rock music because I didn't have the full sonic range in my opinion mm, mm. based upon like what I could see at the time and mm. that was mainly due to just not good PAs mm. in, in, in those environments they didn't have the sub harmonic frequencies that you can get out of electronic music so I didn't you know as, as, as a maths based musician I didn't really feel those, those patterns yeah. they had no clarity they didn't hit me in the soul yeah. whereas something like you know drum and bass and hip hop had those really they were focused on the low subharmonic frequency range so I could feel that shit mm. when mm. I was watching it and like that's she had actually I tell you lies she had blew me away um, rock music I mean just in terms of just the kind of um, stuff that was <coughs> didn't have the representation but of the sound she had at its very best has that driving mecha- huge, huge sound yeah, yeah because it's the integration of the riff and the drums as an engine, you know, the yeah, drums aren't an just engine. playing, you know, yeah. uh, Tom, you know, everyone talks about what an amazing front person John, John Tugut is, and he is, Yeah. and then, and the other, you know, guys are great too, Yeah. but then you've got Tom at the back, yeah. just, I mean, he looks like he's sitting on a tractor to me when he yeah. plays his drum kit, <laughs> just that he's just going to plough the field, you know, I mean, he's just going to set it all up. He, he's, he's, he's one of the... One totally. Of, yeah. I yeah. Mean, like, so and it, a very musical drummer, you know, I'm not yeah. trying to paint a picture of him being like, uh, 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 a behemoth behind the yeah. but he is he's a monster but yeah. it's very musical yeah. yeah so it's that integration of rhythm and riff yeah and and then those melodies coming in and then they channel giant anthems as well so they're crowd pleasers uh, yeah the, i mean but, you know they've, they've, they've had a bit of a backlash at times but when they're at their very best which is to me which is watching them live yeah that they do that kind of rock music about as well as anyone well it's only because I wasn't really exposed to that world growing up so yeah. I never really got to know yeah yeah the, yeah you know I didn't know no, that for medium. sure if you're practicing your classical piano yeah you're not going to be I mean you can do both some people do but you're not that's not going to be as much on your mind no and like I appreciate it totally as yeah. an art form yeah. I, I love Tool like yeah. they're amazing yeah like some of the out of it trippy, buzzy stuff, you know, I've, re- I've always listened to them, I haven't really emotionally connected to them, yeah, it's yeah. a different world from what I'm used to, but I appreciate them as artists, Yeah, yeah. and like, that's where my music, being at the radio station for four or five years, 
put me into contact with all of these artists around New Zealand. Yeah, and it allows you to, you know, um, eradicate genre a little bit too, which is yeah. important. Well, eh? Just well, what, like, it becomes about the two genres that actually really matter: bad music and good music. Yeah, <laughs> and so it was like I was just reacting to stuff that made me have a reaction. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, Solarosa was a um, yeah. haunted outtake. Yeah. that first album of yeah. his. I still talk to him on social media yeah. just every so often, just to you know give, give him some social media love. I mean, yeah. he's doing so well for himself. Yeah. And like I, you know, I've never really spent a lot of time with um, Andrew, but you know, I've always had a really strong passion for his music, mm. and mm. his music essentially mixed with the hip hop vibes, mixed with my classical training, and mixed with my electronic knowledge, somehow melded into module. Yeah. So and then um, I took all these elements, and this weird kind of like experimental four-track recorders, you know, digital, analog, synthesizers. I mean, God, me on synthesizers, woohoo! It's a, <laughs> it's a whole new world. Yeah. But, like, um, so basically, like, um, I got, you know, I was around the original Roland gear. Yeah. The, the 106s. The Juno 6, it doesn't even have MIDI, that's how old it is. Mm. It's like all CV control, control voltages. So mm. it's like this big, grunty oscillator that's running through. Like, you put the thing for a bass cabinet and turn it up to, like, 20, and then it vibrates the whole entire room. Mm, so mm. you can literally make sounds out of the resonance of what mm. it's doing. So you can actually, once you learn about how sound waves are amplified in acoustic spaces and actually use that as an instrument itself, you've got... An imaginary instrument made out of nature that you can learn to modify and change. Things you can do with acoustic resonance actually are really buzzy. You can freeze time with them. You can mm. grab a sound and literally freeze time. If you get the right frequency response in a, in a certain tunnels or echoes or echo chambers, mm. or these acoustic environments basically can trap sound, freeze it in time like a photograph. Mm. And you can you can ping with the resonance backwards and forwards and create ambient feedback. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, wow, it's so yeah. joyous. You know, because you've got those full range frequencies coming off like a hardware based object like a synthesizer, um, you've just got this whole other instrument that exists so in, in space. You were doing <laughs> all of this in the and you become part of I mean you sort of alluded to this. You become part of the Loop machine, basically. Yeah. So your albums come out through Loop. Well, what that, that was, but basically Paul McLean and Ryan Sheen are responsible yes. for, for module. Yeah. Like so, um, Paul Fruit. I think me and Ryan's first conversation, we seem to link to a synthesizer to each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's Ryan's first conversation with anyone. Probably yeah. And yours as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't get us started. It's funny, you guys. Like, there's you, there's, there's you Paul, Ryan, and and I think like Jeff Boyle from Jacob. Oh yeah, he's awesome. He's you know, basically he's basically his guitaring is yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, could go yeah. on for years, but. But like, you guys are all you, you're all connected, and you've yeah. all got a similar kind of you know you've got your different angle on it, but. I know all of you and you've all got I can see why you've all made music together spoken to each other connected with each other's yeah. music you've all got that same sort of um, understanding understanding of it yeah I guess it's an yeah. it's an appreciation of frequency yeah sonics overall yeah. sonics and like when you and then you you know when you do the maths on the equation and you, you realise what you're working with mm. which is basically a, a, a human reaction to a sonic frequency range mm. So, I mean, believe it or not, actually, our, our range that we actually express ourselves in musically is so damn tiny. There's <laughs> a little mm. tiny little, you know, the, out of the electromagnetic mm. spectrum mm. that contains all these different types of waves. Mm. Like, you know, um, it ranges from, like, you know, the low, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I had a good old laugh to myself when the world freaked out on 5G. I was like, what's wrong with you people? Like, <laughs> like seriously, man, walk outside if you want to trip out. There's mm. a gigantic nuclear furnace that's going to wipe out the whole entire solar system <laughs> soon. Like, are you guys not worried about that? Yeah, yeah, are you yeah. worried about these little tiny transmitters <laughs> that are sending out microwaves? 
high frequency radio waves that are actually no different from your microwave mm. and actually no different from this electromagnetic radiation device you have in your back pocket. Mm. It's not harmful that radiation. That you use to tell people about yeah. <laughs> your conspiracy theory concerns. Well, I, I don't think it's conspiracy as such. I think people it's just misinformation. Yeah, yeah. People are becoming, because the internet has given us so much information and mm. it's channeled into lots of different areas. And I think the thing with... Um, whether you want to call it conspiracy theories or or just bands of misinformation, yeah. is the weird thing is um, somewhere in there is actually the, the connection. Truth. Well, yeah, but, but also the connection that people are seeking. I belong to a club that believes this, yeah, and that's our truth. Yeah, and, and there's a connection there. That's the great thing about being alive is everyone is entitled to their own truths. Sure, and like that's something that I've accepted in myself mm. as someone that suffers from mental health issues mm. because. I've accepted that of myself. Mm. I accept that of others. I don't, you know, I do wish I could say to people, like, dude, like, don't worry about that stuff. It's just a tiny little radio transmitter. But it's a bit of a worry when, you know, you've got multi-million dollar corporations surrounding the planet and, and satellites that are beaming, like, Wi-Fi around the world. Mm. You know, that bothers me a little bit because it's like, well, you know, um, mm. what, you know, we just plugged into the machine 24-7 then. There's no escape from it. So, you know, Starlink. Yeah. <laughs> You know, let's just invest all this amazing uh, virtual money that we've got. And, you know, rather than actually fixing the problems in the world, we'll just lock everyone into the internet and then just feed them back advertising. So I do get a bit frustrated with what's happened to the world from, you know, just from a pure... Um, I mean, I'm... Yeah, and we're, yeah. All, and we're all becoming... Um, well, many of us are uh, hypocrites around that too yeah. because we give other people warnings around how oh, much yeah. time they're spending on their devices and then we go straight back to our own and go... I'm okay because I know the parameters, and it's like yeah, that's the we, worst thing that you can do is know, fool yourself into thinking I know, and I, you've got any control over it. We don't, and it's yeah. you know it is a new medium. Yeah, and yeah. like as such, any new medium takes time to learn. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, but you know, going back to you know me, meeting Mikey and Luke, yeah. and I'm like, like, I pretty much like through Ryan, it just kind of happened. I remember, I remember my first meeting with Mikey. Um, he had this really interesting energy as a mm. person. Um, visualized. I believe he still does. He, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I always yeah. love Mikey. Yeah. For, until I until I die, he's yeah. you know me and Mikey are like that. Yeah. You know, um, the guy literally um, is a force. Yeah. And you know he's 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 like he's like some force of nature that's just he's Mikey, mm. undefinable, doing his thing, rocking out. Love him. Yeah. So like um you know we've had our ups and downs and you know I mean I didn't talk to him for a very long time because I was sick but the fact that he was still there when I came back says it all. Mm. And and you know. It was arms open wide, door open. Nice to see you, bro. We've missed you, and that, that like seriously, like I, I, I will never forget that moment when I came back to him as a friend and as a creative, and mm. just said, "Dude, I've got the shit in my head," and he's door wide open. Welcome back. Mm. I mean, that feeling of being welcomed back into the music industry, like I don't even have words for it, man. It's like mm. shit. I must have done it, mm. you know. I don't care if I never make, you know, I'm not cash money driven, I'm not ego driven, and I'm not fame driven because I'm not like that. I don't see the point. Mm, mm. <laughs> but like, um, there's different, everyone has their own way of expressing themselves within the medium and they, everyone has their own different goals and, and, you know, results that they want. We are all different. We're all, that's what makes us uniquely us. Mm. And appreciating and accepting those differences and unifying in them is actually what was, is what's happened in this country. I thought it was interesting with your record, like, and I guess this speaks to 
you know, you, you're, you're talking about Mikey, um, your relationship with him and how positive you find that. Um, I thought it was interesting that you were able to put out this record that was all of these things we talked about, yeah. hip-hop, um, movie soundtrack, yeah. you know, or, um, ambient music, yeah. um, all sorts of, you know, uh, a clean, a, a yeah, eclectic mix, mix of, of, of the dance music trends of the time and the yeah. chill-out music that, yeah. was, that was coming in. But yeah. then you put out a second disc of basically classical piano work. work. Yeah. And I guess that does a couple of things. And one is that it... In the minds of people that are buying you, because I mean, I was working in a store when your album came out, so I know who was buying it. Yeah. And in some cases, people were buying it because we were recommending it to them because they'd bought Rian's album yeah. or they'd bought a loop compilation or whatever. And so they were just going through the series. Yeah. But then when they get to the second disc, it really legitimizes you as a musician because yeah. because people don't actually know what's happening on that first disc when they're listening to it. They, like, they like the sound. It's imaginary music. That's yeah. right. They yeah. like the sound, but, but unless they're a musician themselves, yeah. they can't really Connect process it. how it's being made. Yeah. But a piano is like a cello, like a guitar, yeah. is a sound that we know instantly. Well, there's, you know, during my teenage years, uh, I went through the angsty acoustic guitar yeah. songwriting phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you know, um, you know, with the guitar, like, okay. just, just yeah. figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figured out what it is. And so, yeah. but when people hear that on this recording, they know what it is. They yeah. know that's an acoustic guitar. But if you plugged in an electric guitar and Rain it through these little virtual hardware. Conjured the sorts of sounds that, well, Paul, Rian, and Jeff do, for example. Yeah. You can't, your ear doesn't instantly know that's guitar in some cases. I know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. But yeah, so what I'm saying is that second disc really gets to legitimize you in a lot of people, the layperson's ear. Man, this person can do this too. Yeah, and that's what it was. It was a statement. Mm. It, was, um, it was the polar opposite of what I did. My classical music's haunted me my whole life. I get semi kind of as a musician I get a bit scared of my own music <laughs> because it's like I kind of I understand what I'm doing I kind of almost detach from my classical music because it's so intense for mm. me as a, as a person like mm. outside of the electronic stuff that I do and um, I kind of feel like I'm I've had to kind of characterize it in my own head as to what the heck that is because <laughs> mm. it's like I dream music I wake up in the morning and all I want to do is just play the guitar or the piano and I've been like that my whole life so like it's like I hear patterns and I get these kind of concepts and then I just kind of go through the process of working out what that is mm. and um, it usually starts with, a, with an emotion to something and a reaction to something I feel things really intensely in terms of like how I perceive my own reality based upon like my understanding of my own definitions of it mm. so it's like that is by definition, a definition of reality. <laughs> so, like, I, I get like that, you know what mm. I mean? Lay, layers upon layers upon layers. Mm. And that's what happens with my classical music. And then it's just a process of stripping back those layers to make the simple communication of that time or feeling that I was feeling something. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I battle with my music and the classical stuff because I, all this intense, beautiful, arrangements that I hear. Mm. I've been, I've been hassling, I'm going to do something with the NCSO at um, some point in the future when they get to know me. 
um, it's been a battle to get to know them because um, I'm not from that world. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm an outsider. I don't yeah. have the cash money to give them to, to do the performances, mm. so I can't. Yo, I've got you know all this money now. Let's go work together because it's a machine that needs oiling, mm. and it is an expensive car to drive down the highway of musical ambition, and mm. I can't get there because I don't have that money. <laughs> so you know, one plus one equals nothing in my world. So yeah. I'm like not going to follow that until either a I become. Um, that guy that can do that <laughs> or um, you know time I think I'll, when I'm older and I no longer have the need to be module and I just go back to being Jeremy which is yeah. my real name yeah so I mean even Jeremiah it's, there's a character within my yeah. own world <laughs> so yeah, yeah I noticed I noticed that straight away that you were telling the story of yourself as Jeremy yeah well that's Jeremy is that Sips kid mm. that did push past that yeah. That fought his way, that battled his way through the forces of life. That earned the right to call himself Jeremiah. Yeah, and, and, be, and, and become module. an artist. And become and an artist. And yeah. become module. And yeah. that's that's the vision I had when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I saw that. I yeah. saw that I could channel what I was doing because I was in these environments where I was either A, getting, you know, having to survive, going through whatever I was going through at the time, but then put me on a musical instrument and the whole tone changed. People's yeah. reactions to me, people's um, reflections, people's mood, people's intentions. Mm. I can make something really beautiful, but mm. I come from this place where I was literally trying to survive, you mm. know, like a, like a, <laughs> I mean, like, so, I mean, so it created a really huge dissonance in my perception of what I thought people were, you know, how mm. people treat people, how, mm. and you know, being in a being in a state, you know, a state of the ward for like 14 years, you know, basically the government owning me, mm. and, and just basically being a cash asset to the government that I, they can just put me wherever they want and then just generate an income off me. And um, that's essentially what the business was. And mm. I told them that, and they weren't very happy with my observations, but <laughs> I continually pointed that out on regular occasions. Yeah. $10,500 was spent on me putting me in a boarding home. It was either that or go to the high-security you know, the, the high security boys' home. Mm. I didn't do anything wrong. Mm. <laughs> so I'm mm. like, why are you guys doing this to me? What have I done? Mm. So I escaped at a young age. They spent all that money on putting me in boarding school, and I just walked out. When he stole all my SIPS files, <laughs> and like when he lived in the country up in the attic and pretended I was my brother when the police were trying to find me, so <laughs> this went on for months. <laughs> so like, yeah. yeah, so like, um, so yeah, they're coming around and like, Jeremy, Jeremy, where's Jeremy? Blah, blah, blah. I said I have no idea. I mean, I even inter they even interviewed me trying to tell you know ask me you know as my brother like where I was, and I said the last place they saw me was in the hills. You know, I'd gone bush. At 14. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, like, that, and then eventually they just gave up. Like, they just didn't bother me. So, like, all of a sudden they were gone. It was like, you know, that bit in Lord of the Rings when the, the ring is gone mm. and Frodo's still feeling it? That's what it felt like to me. Like, wow. this huge burden had been lifted off me. Yeah. And the dream I had of getting back home to my mum, or, my, you know, some form of family outside of that, every orphan kid dreams of going, you know, finding a family. Mm. I dreamed of my what it would be like to get home and get out of that world. And, um, to come home to that and discover my mother was actually really sick mentally and not very well. She um, was doing some crazy out of it stuff in terms of just the way she was processing her relationships and you know her emotional reactions to things. Wow. But every so often she would come out of it like, like a light behind the clouds, you know? The clouds would clear, the sun would come out and there was my mum for brief moments. And I would enjoy those times with her because I knew they wouldn't last. Mm. So she taught me all about gardening and you know veggies and eating properly, and you know would help me channel my kind of nutty thoughts around music and what, how was how was I supposed to be this thing that I've invented in my head that no one actually knows about apart from me? So why do I even feel like that? <laughs> I struggled with that. 
like, why do I have to be this thing that I am? That, and who's dictating to me? Why am I telling myself I need to be this musician? You know, mm. you know. In my head, I got it stuck in my head that maybe it was a, like a musical form of OCD or something. But I, a way to process what I went through. I thought if I become more than I am, then I would be free from my past. So I just saw it as a as a mechanism, mm. a process, a, a calculation. Yeah, if I just, if I do this, then that will happen, and it did. You mm. know, and like. Mm. There's sometimes like I go back to time, I go back in time to that kid, and I literally in myself, we that kid is dead. He's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. We lose. We've got three versions of ourselves in mm. our life: our younger selves, our medium selves, and our old selves. So like each time, each epoch of our own lives just basically means we lose that person. They're gone forever. Mm. They get replaced by other people. You know, and you've got to learn to live with that person, who you are, based upon the memory of the other one. So it's a bit of a wacky world anyway. <laughs> so, like, all, all of these, you know, you can tell I think a lot, but, like, in all of these kind of variations in my own life led me to the conclusion that I can express all this through music. Mm, I have a mm. medium to put this somewhere. Mm. So that's what you did, and that's yeah. what you're doing again. Yeah. And tell me about what happened... Um, in those sort of what I'm going to call the loop years, and those yeah. was because because you don't put another album out under your under your name module until yeah. about 2012. Yeah. Well, so basically, which I, is Imagineering. Yeah. So in the after after my the response to Remarkable Engines yeah. buzzed me out. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, my music's all over TV. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've been booked regularly for touring. Yeah. Um, I was literally a part of the New Zealand music industry. Yeah. Um, I met everybody. And it was. A thriving music industry at it that was, point because I, there was still, you know, manufacturing of physical product yeah, and we're, major labels. And, yeah, 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 it was an incredible time in New Zealand yeah, music history. Yeah, you know, that's right. And in New Zealand, we'd just really got over the kind of cultural cringe and where people were owning the fact that yeah. My favourite artist of all time is Big Runger, or my favourite yeah. artist of all time is yeah. Shehard, or what you know, some New Zealand band. It's yeah. all to do with the size of the country. Yeah, but we're, yeah. Not, we're actually a community. Yeah, we're a multicultural community. But we couldn't see past yeah. that. Like we had, you know, Split Ends was the great New Zealand band for the yeah. longest time. Oh yeah, they were the national. They were New Zealand national band. That's at one right, point, yeah. and that, and you know, I think they're great. Yeah, I love but, I love Neil, man. Yeah, what a yeah, dude. They're, they're amazing. But <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah, it was sort of unfair that that was the standard yeah. that everyone else had to, oh, you're not as good as Split Ends. And I was like, well, no one's trying to be. Everyone's trying to be their own thing. Yeah. But then it, there was that crushing point of, well, this is just, uh, this is fine, but you have to like other international music as <laughs> yeah. well. And so what you're talking about is you're in the industry at a time when people's, everyone's favourite bands, 10, yeah. 20 bands, were Kiwi artists. I know. And for me, like I was a, I was a, a very unique force mm. in, in the industry. On my, on my own industry, really. Mm, mm. Um, Rian and me, you know, basically shared a passion for synthesizers and, yeah. and mixing electronics. Yeah. We were the first band in New Zealand to use Ableton Live. Yeah. Um, when the, that came out, version 2.0, we were mm. using other software to try and trigger off our samples or just layer, layering things like kind of, you know, making a cake. Mm. And then all of a sudden I had full detail. Mm. So all this MIDI data and technology, that was the, the analog stuff was virtualized. Mm. So it's like all I need is a MIDI controller and a computer, and I can emulate everything that I've done my whole life. So I didn't need, you know, racks of analog synthesizers. So I didn't need to put those on planes. So all mm. of a sudden, I was the, do- the, the doors were open. Mm. I didn't need. You're all- mobile. <laughs> I'm, I'm mobile. I'm mm. virtual. Mm. So I embraced that. Like, mm. You know, I, I basically put dedicated my life into that idea of mm. basically imagining, like my music, creating something out of nothing. Mm. 
you know, it was basically virtual representation of any physical hardware on the earth that made a noise. Mm. And I was like, yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, my time with the, the analog equipment gave mm. me a full understanding of what the different variations are from those yeah. pieces of equipment. Yeah. What a digital delay does versus what an analog delay does. Mm. What a passive EQ does to an active EQ. And you move into sort of um, doing soundtracks for games. Yeah. Well, so like, what was happening those those six to seven years where yeah. I was touring? Yeah. Um, I I just started building up. I just decided to in myself that I would be. I would not drink. I would not take drugs. I would be a, a high quality performer. I basically was told by David Gilmore of Pink Floyd through watching the Pulse DVDs mm. on how to do it. Mm. The guy is an amazing, incredible musician craftsman of his, mm-hmm. of his work. Mm. I admired him. If I ever get to meet him, I'm just going to give him a cuddle and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, thank you for like inspiring mm. me my whole life. So as a kid, like his, the way that... All that kind mm. of expression notes mm. and curves. Yeah. Um, Hello. Hi guys, get in there, guys. Just getting a bit thirsty. Yeah, get in there. Don't mind me, but yeah, I'm talking about Pink Floyd again. So, like, my my whole, you know, when I heard the war when I was a kid, all of Mm. a sudden I had someone, ooh, babe, don't leave me now! You know, I had someone expressing the same feelings I was feeling. Mm. So I was like. It's funny how formative that is. I had a big, I mean, I I find the wall. Um, unlistenable now, but everything else by Pink Floyd, I'm I'm still there for. But there are beautiful moments on the wall. I just can't listen to the whole album. But man, that's yeah. I mean, that's just and I I, I love that. And I you know I I had a pretty good childhood. Yeah. I don't think there's any trauma in my life yeah. at that point at all. But somehow I felt like. Not my feelings, but I just thought it was really important that someone's feelings were being sung in yeah, that way. Yeah. I felt really bonded to that music. Mother, do you think they'll drop the <laughs> I love Roger Waters. Such an interesting character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. Well, also because he, yeah, because he, um, you know, he was born of being like an arty hippie, but he's turned into the ultimate commerce man too. Yeah, so he's frustrating he's, to some people because he's embraced. He is, he's embraced both both sides. He is big business. You I know, know. I mean, he great. is his own brand, yep. and now there he is as a solo artist, touring on the strength of all that Pink Floyd stuff. In some ways, he's the ultimate sellout. Yeah. But he's embraced it. Yeah, he has. He owns it. He uh, owns like, it. Literally. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, when you've done something like Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall, mm. and you've made such a huge cultural impact sure. on the whole entire creative landscape for 30-odd yeah. years, and you've sold millions of copies of that Why album, not? And you've got your own island. Yeah. Do whatever the, do, do whatever you want, man. Yeah, your work is done. And, yeah. like, you know, as long as you're not killing people, yeah, then and you're... Like, um, Okay. And you're okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, he does project a lot of interesting kind of thoughts and feelings into the the cosmos. Yeah. And I think he's got better actually in terms of that in the last decade. Like, I think there was a smugness and a frustration in the whole sort of fighting Gilmore for the name rights and so forth. That was pretty ugly sort of 30 years ago and even 20 years ago. But the last 10 years, they've just worked out. We'll just go and do our things each. Yeah. And there's enough people in the world that still want to hear our version of these things. Yeah. And we'll just cater to them. You know, I thought that that most that, that recent biz, that business decision. Yeah, was, and was that, a good decision. And that most recent concert album that he's just put out. Yeah. Um, Us and them. Yeah, it's amazing. Great. And, and the production and the yeah, stage design. Yeah. Incredible. I know. Like, I look. I watched it. The film is amazing. I yeah. watched it. Yeah. I mean, so like these these his yeah. his those versions of his corporations that mm. he's created for himself, which mm. is all stemmed from you know being in the music industry. Mm. And so like I, 
admired them. Mm. And I saw myself having that opportunity virtually mm. because of my understanding of the, um, the virtual world. Mm. So I was like, well, if I can create any machine and it, it can make any kind of sound, what else can I do? <laughs> so that is where I got into video games. Mm. So um, as an artist, I just kind of went into a virtual world for a few years before everyone else did. And that must have been lucrative um, oh, to a degree. To, I mean, yeah, I was paying the rent. Yep. I wasn't touring. Yep. I was um, spending time with my children. Mm. I was somehow this weird crossover between artist meets commercial um, mm. artist. Mm. Um, so when I was doing the video game stuff, I took everything that I did live and just virtualized it way before everybody else did. And um, you know, to see where it's all gone now, mm. it's like mm. it's all old news to me. Not to be arrogant, but like that's what I thought. Mm. I already saw this all happening years ago because of where the technology goes, how it's evolved in the past. You know, I've been a, I've been more focused on the technological advances with musical equipment and musical adventures than I have other areas, which is why I haven't put myself into those environments because I don't feel like I deserve to be in them. Mm. I'm not that kind of person. And what happened after Imagineering? Like, well, like what was the response to that record? Well, I, I, I seem I, to recall it was like I mean I know I reviewed it favor favorably, and I think I a few mean, other people did. It was it was it was dreams that was happening in between my touring years. Mm. So I'd find myself after the after the the overload of touring, like so I was literally remixing um, remarkable engines to more upbeat stuff to fit into the clubs mm. to generate an income because at that time it was difficult for mm. me to kind of get anywhere else because I, the visions in my head didn't match the money that I needed the, for the production. And the, the, that horrible marketing term of chill out music which yeah. which some of your stuff is, nicely <laughs> fitted into that's yeah. right it was that, that bubble had burst as well too yeah, right? like so, that was gone. Yeah. So like I said the tides of yeah. music that constantly yeah. change so yeah. it's, it's all decided by people's tastes. Well, all in music, all in general, you know mm. what I mean? It's like we all have kind of global perceptions of what is popular at whatever time and then we move past it and then come back to it and then move past it. Well, actually, yeah. it's all decided by people wearing suits who want to decide what your tastes are going to be. Yeah, <laughs> I would mean, like to meet these people <laughs> and actually work out a proper business plan. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm capable of actually providing you some really high quality content, so <laughs> how much is that going to, how much, what can we do to work together? Yeah. I almost feel like going up to Google and actually introducing myself through the front door and going, how can we actually... Yeah. The problem is, Jeremy. Yeah. They're going to. Uh, they're going to want your soul, and you've spent a long time fighting to get that back ever, already. They'll never get my soul. Mm. My music is beyond me, so like mm. you know, it's a gift, mm. and like so, as such, it's uh, protected by that. You know, what, what are they going to get out of me? I don't need cash money. I only just want to like share my music with everybody. Mm. It's my 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 goal. I might be a bit crazy, but like sweet ass. <laughs> but I, I see the, the, the virtual world, because I've been working in it, mm. I understand how it works mm. a little bit more than other people mm. without being arrogant again, but um, it's the world that I've been living in for a very long time. Mm. I understand that it's all built on open source software from the 90s, HTML5, JavaScript, it's all just packaged up and whatever, it's the same, it's still Weebix depending if it's um, either budget brand or it's the actual official brand, yeah. still Weebix. Yeah exactly what's happened with the internet yeah. um, you know these technologies that these companies are basically branding themselves and you know storytelling back to the general populace of what you should buy and what you shouldn't and what platforms you should and shouldn't use and all for benefit of you know um, ease of use and user usability um, yeah I can go on forever but you know I can't break down the simple thing that it is a script on a, on a physical web server that is you know telling you this is what this is. Mm. Very much the same as a bit of music equipment, virtually. I mean, there's a plugin producing a certain type of sound 
that's meant to emulate or replicate something else when that plugin has this ability to do that across everything. I'm going to ask you something. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something pretty blunt now. I'm yeah. Going to, I'm going to ask it with a bluntness that hopefully comes with um, the humanity of of wanting to come and visit you and get this story and mm. listening to you. But when can you pinpoint when the wheels fell off? Um, probably around about 2013. The wheels didn't fall off. They um, I just kind of did the mess on what I perceived my reality was, and it didn't make sense. I didn't like we were. I didn't. I was performing to all these people. I was in an environment where I made really deep connections and friendships, and mm. developed, you know, a passion for these people, their music, their craft. I felt kind of pulled in two places. I was not able to, you know, achieve what I was supposed to achieve, with, which was basically be everyone buy my music, everyone know who I am, because that's the only way that we. That's the only purpose for that. It didn't make sense to me. Is this all? Is this is why I'm a musician now? Because mm. I have to sell money. I have mm. to make cash money. Why do I need cash money for? I don't need much. Or well, how do I sell more records? Because I need more cash money to mm. get more things to do other things. Why am I putting so much pressure on myself to be something I'm not? So I, I basically went to war with myself, and I kind of saw from my own perception as a, a global view of what we were doing, and I didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> Mm. It was the internet was creeping in like a dark shadow. All of a sudden, people were going, you know, literally giving their music away to everybody to increase, um, you know, potential exposure dollars. Exposure, <laughs> exposure dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. love money, whatever mm. they want. Mm. Um, I saw all we'll, of a sudden. We'll work for likes. Yeah, we'll mm. work for likes exactly. Mm. So I mean, Facebook, MySpace, really is what did it to me when I realised that basically their global vision is to basically sell advertising back to us for whatever platform that everyone globally decides that whatever you use to do the same thing. Well, I felt like I was in a car salesman yard and I was being sold like some crappy bloody car that wasn't going to work properly unless I kind of, I could paint it any colour I like and then all of a sudden people would buy it but it would still be the same shitty car. Mm. So I was like, I got, I'm like, because I understood the digital technology of mm. what they were doing. Mm. I saw it straight away. I freaked out on it. Mm. I was like, I got really weird about it. I had a problem with it. <laughs> so like, I'd worked in radio advertising. I'd worked in that industry. I'd almost essentially been in advertising myself with my music. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I was promoting my music. I was being an, an entity selling something that I'd created. So I would quite often <laughs> have this weird analogy that I felt like I was like a, you know, working... You know, I was just in a factory producing... But I was, I was producing my own content. So mm. I was my own kind of company. I always visualised module as that from day one. I've never been other, I've never told anyone anything different. I mean, I'm, but my goal isn't to do with money, it's to do with like connection mm. and quality. But but what happened when you had that sort of epiphany or whatever you want to call it um, in terms of I got, wanting to withdraw? What I, happened I, got, to I got a vision basically of what I thought the future might be mm. and um, it, triggered off, it triggered off a very sharp vision in my mind that was my third album after Imagineering. I called it Programmer at the time, but it evolved into Love in the Digital. Mm. So I started getting this concept about how that we would all be our own businesses in the future because that's how the only way we would need to survive. We would become part of this global globalisation thing. And um, I saw, I thought to myself, if you get enough computers together and we're all virtualised like that, the same way that I'm doing stuff with music, um, we're going to basically transmit all that into that world. Because you know, it's not just plugins for music. It's mm. not just representations of hardware. It's everything. It's your food source. You think it was just yeah. I just kind of saw the world going down this interesting space, and I freaked out on it. And I, I had a, had this unusual vision 
about the future. And it was basically a sci-fi, like, alternate reality vision. And it was very strong in my head, and um, it made sense to me, and I, I got a bit weird, weirded out by my own delusions, mm. basically, about what I thought the future would be. Mm. So I channeled that in as quickly as I could into my last album, and then I decided to make a plan, which was basically um, get back to the classical music, um, leave the technology behind, don't do it, because it's it's going to um, you know cause problems. <laughs> I just I got I got weird about it basically. Mm. So um, at that time, I'd been working for uh, several um, production companies and various other places. Places I was doing augmented reality, so uh, I could see the idea of you know man machine. Our integration, augmented reality, virtual realities. I could see the the levels of um, what that would mean for us as a human beings. You know, living in our own basically digital delusions, 24/7. You know, I call it a digital psychosis basically at a young age, because of my awareness of mental health issues. Mm. I saw that as that, mm. and I freaked out. I freaked out like crazy, and I couldn't talk to anyone about it because it sounded really out the gate. <laughs> So I was convinced that the world was going to be enslaved by digital devices, that mm. we would all become, you know, slaves to this gigantic corporation that would dictate to us what we do. And now it is, and we have. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to the future. <laughs> yeah. So that's what caused my illness. I was going to say you you um, mentioned to me, I think before we started recording, the idea that you you just needed to log off personally yeah. and. You know, in the way you're describing this and in the way we've been talking, it, it strikes me, well, to anyone listening, yeah. that you have a hard time leaving thoughts unfinished that constantly... Yeah. It's an OCD problem. That you're working through yeah. things the whole time. And I and, and I mean that with no disrespect. So I imagine what I'm getting to is the only way for you to shut that down was to shut down. Yeah. I, I couldn't... It was either I kept pushing on on what I saw the future would be, which was just basically working for a, a, a future-based corporation that was going to take over the world and enslave us all. <laughs> That's what I saw in 2013. I had this vision. I called it Module International, actually, just channeled it into my own creativity. Mm. So in Module International, it's part of a scientific community that are trying to alter people's perceptions through light and sound. And for the core reason of making us all live freely so that we can basically advance out into the solar system and not destroy Earth. When, our, when we destroy our planet, it doesn't matter, and we can just 3D print our bodies and re-upload ourselves to our consciousness. So, you know, it's just like life on demand. Mm. Same way we subscribe to all these digital services. We just basically, don't worry about death, sweeties. We'll just, I've got a backup. Poof, download the app, pay $3.55 for a subscription service to your own <laughs> backup copies. There's hundreds of them in the warehouse. Mm. Well, we can we can modify those slightly if you want. You, know, you can upgrade yourself to, like, you know, version 2.7. So I was having these really intense visions that were I, I would go walking into town trying to get rid of them. So I would, I would see people on, on their phones. I do it all the time now. Mm. I've accepted that's, that's the world we live in. I don't fight it anymore. I just embrace it, try and work within it. But at the time, I just saw all of a sudden there was a disconnect. I felt it with the audiences. All of a sudden, people weren't quite paying attention to what I was doing. I wasn't the centre of attention. And as, as someone that was um, channeling my energy into becoming the centre of attention, for X amount of time to get cash money to pay my rent, to buy some food, to buy something for my kids, I got, all of a sudden I didn't have that anymore. Did you um, spot in yourself yeah. that this was, you know, quote unquote, not normal? Yeah, I knew, I knew it. I knew I was sick. 
because I was obsessed with the idea of this. Yeah, you couldn't, it, I couldn't, you couldn't shut, shut it down. I couldn't, couldn't shut it down. It was yeah. my every day. It was my. It was every day I'd wake up and I just felt like I could not do me mm. anymore. I could not be that person that I imagined I would be. I had to make a choice in myself that um, I have to let that go. I have to move on. I have to, can't be this anymore. I can't do it anymore. Um, I would. I would never be what I thought I would be. I just, you know, I just have to accept that, and I just had need to channel, channel it somewhere else. Yeah. My last album that I wrote, I wrote 20 songs in three weeks and I just threw it out there, loving the digital, quid pro quo, um, and it was all talking about like the global corporations and the, um, you know, the, the scientists working with these corporations that were going to brainwash us all into believing mm. that you know, we were all working for them. And so it's taken, I decided at some point during that process, because it triggered off a severe depression mm. to the point where it became clinical. To the point where I took medication, to the point where I had a seizure in a coma and died from it almost. So I was airlifted to hospital and connected to life support machines and I went in my head. It only amplified my original delusion that the, I was... Mm. Living what you'd been thinking about. Yeah. yeah. So like, I literally spent three or four years in another world after that. I wandered around the country, <laughs> walked a lot went bush a little bit, mm. <laughs> went, found myself in and out of psychiatric hospitals, um, was living on the benefit with no perception of who I was or where I was from, um, would wake up from day to day and time would just become nothing to me. It was like all of a sudden it was like 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, watching this world slowly turn into what I imagined it would be and freaking out that even more on it and then just basically just had to make a choice. If I don't find a way to come back, my kids are going to lose their dad forever. And like, and you know what that's like. Yeah, I couldn't let that happen again. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, I literally was in the darkness. Like, I was in a psychiatric hospital under the Mental Health Act, not wanting to live anymore for a long time because of what happened to me in my head when I almost died. So after that, I thought I've been through everything you can go through as a person. Now I've been through foster care. I've been through abuse. I've been through rock stardom. I've come out the other side of that. I've been in psychiatric hospitals. I've almost died. Um, what's there to do now? <laughs> so it took me a long time. I slowly over time started working my way through the psychosis that I had around the future. And I started thinking to myself, okay, Jeremy, how we, can we turn this into something? I questioned me, my real self, the, the little kid from Palmy. Mm. Again, I talked to him as if I was... An older version of myself talking to my younger self. I separated the two characters in my head. Jeremiah versus Jeremy versus Module. They became three separate entities in my own head. Not schizophrenia. That's called multiple personality disorder, in case you're wondering. Schizophrenia is when you have a, a problem with your personality, when it forms into different forms of mm. itself, and then it ends up talking to itself because it gets lonely. So, I mean, it's one observation of it, but that's my observation of it, is that it's a, you know, mental health is a variation of the norm, and the norm is defined by everyone else. Go figure. Mm. So that's mental health. And we everyone has different views and opinions of what it is. A lot of people are like, harden up, get over it. Other people are a bit more understanding and accepting. Those who live with it as a curse or as a disability, which it, what it really is, a disability to not be able to function and what you're supposed to be doing, which is you know generating cash money of X, Y, Z, any X amount per year to verify your existence on this planet while you're alive, to buy physical products that we've made, you know, machines, cars, houses, certain types of things, all to live in this kind of perpetual temporary space time where we go whoop, around a star and then you die. Mm. 
why it seems like a load of shit <laughs> so I mean like I, I questioned all that stuff I went mm. through all those deep crazy you know I'm a musician man thoughts and I just accepted them and I thought that I would take my psychosis and my delusions around the, what the future is and I would channel that into a story and I would make the music for that story so I became a writer all of a sudden um, I started every day when I was in the hospitals I had a little notebooks and I just started taking notes I'd kind of semi-forgotten how to make music <laughs> mm. I hadn't forgotten the, the ability was still there but yeah, yeah. I had no desire but no the, desire the uh, ritual or the regime was no longer there yeah. the reinforcement mm. I called it I called it I was unbound from time and space mm. Mm. I literally you know I was no one mm. no one knew who I was I was wandering around streets at two in the morning I'd sleep anywhere I'd crash under a bridge or in some cases I'd just you know I'd go down to the op shop pick up some old coat I was literally homeless at one point I went there I went fully there. I went fully there mm. because of my years of touring. I didn't really feel like it was any different. You know, it was just a roof over my head. It was just something in my stomach. It was just fuel for my body. It was just a moment in time space because I know that to, it, there's another gig to do next day. After six or seven years of doing that all the time, I just kind of got used to it. I mean, like a cheap hotel to me is like great. It's quiet. No one's around. I've got, mm. I've got a bed. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a TV. Sweet. Everything mm. I need. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, I became. I never really needed you know kind of comforts in that area i think that comes from my childhood i never had them growing up i didn't have a family growing up i didn't have anything growing up i had a, a bunk with four other kids you know in a, in a foster care like prison basically i grew up in a, in a facility you know in these social welfare facilities where I, I didn't have any love i didn't have anybody i just had people just telling me what to do at xyz and I'd get, you know, pocket money and I'd go to school and I'd, I was a very interesting, almost otherworldly kid anyway. So mm -hmm. when I got hit with mental health, it felt no different to me from um, the SIPS history that I went through. A lot of people that have gone through SIPS have suffered in mental health issues in a lot of ways. And um, I could be angry at, the, at that government at that time. I could go walk up to the government now and go, Where's, you know, why? But I, cho I choose not to mm. because I don't want to because mm. I want to be better than that. And as we're talking now, you have people in your life that you love and yeah. that love you. Yeah. And you have friends. My, my friends that I meet. Yeah. I meet, I meet really interesting people. And, I and think, you're reconnecting with old friends. Yeah. And we've been talking online over the last few weeks about this and about a few other things. And yeah. then most recently you're on the stage with Fly My Pretties to a sold-out audience. <laughs> yeah. In I the mean, band again. In the band again. And, like, to be honest, it was like family to me. Mm. They are my family. The New Zealand, Everyone in the New Zealand music industry is the family I never had. Um, Tim, who does the visuals for Shapeshifter. Um, so many people. Paul McClaney. Matt Pitt, who did all my visuals. Brian. Mm. Um, we haven't spent much time together because I'm a bit crazy and he's got a family, so... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not crazy in a bad way, but you know, I just, you know, he's got, you know, he, he works really hard at what he mm. does. He's, a, he's, a, he's an accomplished composer. Mm. I'm very proud of Ryan for what he did. He saw what he needed to do and he didn't let that sway him. He stood, he stood, stood the ground whereas I went to the cosmos. He, he um, you know, worked and, you know, supported his family that he created, you know, Rashi and his children and mm. he set up his studio and he, he just, made really beautiful music that was his that was, mm. wasn't was trying to be anything other than his he found, he found a sound he found a soul he found a connection he found a way forward and he did it and like I listened to his I listened to his music when I was unwell as a, as a and Shapeshifter I'd listen to Shapeshifter all the time the energy in the drum and bass music would kind of help me with my depression when I was fighting it some days I'd win and some days I'd completely lose but I'd never gave up fighting it 
because I, I realised it was a delusion and I realised I let it be one. And then I kind of taught myself to go like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. So my psychosis is just like a story. It's my brain creating the story. It's, just, it's a reaction to a trauma that happened when I almost died. And then it just, my initial trauma was triggered by what happened when I was a kid. Mm. So it was just multiple traumas added up and it created its own version of my perception of my own reality. And so I was like, I'll just work with this. Like a performance, like being on stage, like making music for people. Mm. And then all of a sudden this lightness came in me, like I felt free in myself. Free enough to be, yeah, I'm okay, I can do it again. And the only reason I could feel like that is because it's like I picked up the guitar and I started singing and writing songs again. And Infinity Forever is what happened. So I had this feeling of like, you know, my near-death experience, the corporations, the world, the, the time space, the fact that, you know, from scientific research says we've only got five billion years left on the earth. We're going to have to move out of here sometime. <laughs> you know, like, so I started just visualising everything on a bit more of a bigger scale in my head and slowly started just writing music for it. You um, have mentioned more than once that you're not driven by money, but... No. But it's still a necessity in this life while it we're is. on this earth. So, yeah. um, what are you doing now? Like, how is that working for you? How can you pretty sustain much, yourself? Well, pretty much, I'm doing it on. Uh, I do a lot of quid pro quo work, which is like, you know, um, for example, I just did all the music for Speedway, and all of the Speedways in New Zealand. So, I created the background music for when you go watch the racing cars. Rather than being paid cash money, I just did an exchange for my time and services, which is I got an eight-channel mixer out of the job. I spent, you know, I've made it really good as I can, and this is for a friend of mine from Palmerston North, who I've worked with for a very long time. He was there at the beginning when I started, you know, wanting to put things in vans and wanted to travel to places to play music. He helped me. It's yeah. a really lovely old fella from Palmerston North. He runs his own video production company and he does a lot of corporate work, you know, for you know, putting on really high quality events for people. He provides a service, yeah. and um, you know, to me, he's a little bit like Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you know, he's just that kind of chill guy that you know going to help you out with anything. Mm. And he's, you know, he's a really good energy in my life, and I, you know, I really appreciate the guy. And you know, I give him my knowledge and time and my experience in terms of the digital technology stuff I know about. And um, we just help each other. You know, so he's a friend. Mm. So like um, those types of relationships have become really important to me, and I just try and manage those the best that I can. And you know, I, I don't have a lot of money, and I don't see the need for it but I kind of want to be able to look after my son me and my son have been rebuilding our relationship since I've gotten better how old is he? he's 16 now right he's full of the same musical energy I've got he's, mm. he's my mirror mm. he's got all the same abilities so you want to be there for him for two reasons you want to help musically as yeah. well as you know which is part of the reconnection anyway but yeah. you would want to when I when I realised that my son literally without his dad you know carried on my work for me mm. this little kid made that choice <laughs> mm. my little boy <laughs> I wasn't there I was in the hospital so you know when he made that when he made, he, he made that choice of himself to like yeah if my dad isn't here then I will do you know he, module 2.0 he'll take over mm. he'll, he'll teach himself everything he needs to know so that my music isn't lost mm. what a beautiful thing man amazing yeah what a beautiful thing I love my son for that and that made me realise that, wow, somewhere inside my, this kid that I created, Emma, his mum, she did something really right. She allowed him to have those kind of inner thoughts within himself that, mm. you know, I mean, to like basically accept that. He struggles with the same illnesses that I do, not as extremely, thank goodness, but like um, he suffers from the same feeling of disconnect 
with extreme emotional reaction to that disconnection mm. at the same time. Mm. There's lots of labels for it, depersonalization, DPDR, all these people basically assigning values to an emotional reaction governed by an emotional reaction, governed by an emotional reaction on and so on. Mm. People have given it labels. But it all comes down to mental health being an actual just a feeling inside you that takes over your whole being that you have no control over. It's an illness and, mm. and it is a disability because of that illness. And you, the only thing that you can do to combat that illness, like anyone, is learn to walk again. Mm. You might not have the same abilities that you had when you could run up a mountain, but you can still walk. And if you can still walk, that means you can still get from A to B, whether that be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever you choose. So I just like the same way of making those life choices as like, I either live or I die. I've been faced with that on numerous occasions. Either I die here or I live. Some of the situations I was in growing up, either I give up, or either I do or I don't. Either that happens or it doesn't. You know, it's put made me very, not black and white, but it's resolved a lot of processes where it's just become very about, this is who I am, I've been through this. I'm, I'm Jeremy, I'm from Palmerston North, I write classical music and acoustic music. I've got mad visions of the future, I want to share those with everybody and make an uh, interactive theatre show based around all the technology that I know from 25 years of interactive music and I'm going to do it. And either I do that through wins, for a business grant, either I do that by talking to a corporation that will give me the money to do it, either I sell my music in advance by you know doing contract work for companies to produce that cash money that I'd need to make that happen, all of those are secondary to my main goal which is to create a long bit of lasting art that will last beyond my physical body. So when I get to the end of this life, that becomes a thing and that is me and that is, that is what an artist does. They make something that is long-lasting beyond them. And, you know, every great art that I've seen, that I've admired and loved, is not bound to time. It's not bound to perception and it's not bound to anything. People mm. will, people connect to it emotionally and like listening to it. And I guess it's taken me a very long time to accept that passion in me and channel it into something that I feel would be worth that and especially after what I went through with my mental health. Like, mm. how the hell am I going to do this now? That seems like an impossible mission. Mm. You know, that's a Mount Everest. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I'm i still learning the, uh, the kind of language to have these sorts of conversations, but I mm. was going to ask you what um, are the trigger points around this for you? You know, like, what? how aware are you of sending yourself into some sort of spiral? I never get to that point. I've... I can't get to that point. I already know what that point is. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you travel down a road well enough, you know where the turns are. <laughs> you know what, you know, I accept when so I... So you know in some sense there's no returning. Right? There's no returning. Yeah. I know I'm never going to be who I was. I am Jeremy. I'm different. I'm, I'm a different person now. I've, I've changed. Life has done some interesting things to me. My traumas and my, um, you know, physical illnesses. And But I still remember that guy. And I live with the fact that he's no longer there. You know, um, in that way, that you know, Jeremy Jeremiah module that exists still, it exists in a different way, and I've basically um, channeled that vision into my new music, and I've created a character who's a scientist in this play that I've written, um, and then he's um, basically pure energy based. He comes in and out of reality thanks to the artificial intelligence that, you know, um, basically his copy of himself got angry at himself and. Um, use the machines in this futuristic lab to um, phase them out of reality and send them to the other side of the cosmos. 
you know, as a punishment for creating himself and trapping himself in a virtual world. And as <laughs> someone who um, made albums 15 years ago and, and just over 10 years ago called uh, Remarkable Machines, Engin- Engines yeah. and Imagineering. Yeah. There's a theme. Link continues. Yeah. There's a theme. So yeah. like, I, I saw that there was a theme. Yeah. And then I saw that wow, actually I've been creating something bigger than I realised. I you know imagine it. Remarkable Engines was the start of it. It was the classical music and the mm. electronic music. Mm. And then all of a sudden the acoustic music happened. You know me playing guitar and writing mm. all these songs on the guitar. And so like I just thought I can't let that go. No matter how sick I am or how sick I think I am at any given time. I can't give up on that. That's my. That's who I am. I am a songwriter and composer and musician. Like I've been one my whole life. Mm. My life has made me that way, and I'm blessed. Wow, I'm this awesome musician. Mm. You know, when I got better, that's my reaction to myself. Whoa, I can write all this amazing stuff. Like mm. all this knowledge came sweeping back like a like a wave in my head. All mm. the shit I knew about computers and compressors and limiters and EQs and and then I saw where it was all going with the digital technology, and I just felt peace. <sighs> it's not going to end. You know? Yeah, it's, I was going to say that. It's <laughs> the world isn't going to be enslaved by these corporations. And, wow. And yeah, if they, yeah. And if they are, then I'm going to write the music for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, well, I was going to say, the, the, the happiest part of, of all of this story is that you are here to be able to tell it, right? Yeah. So the story of my life, this is my life. That, mm. This shit happens to me. Mm. I'm like this... I'm, you know, really well-known musician that people love my music and it's all around the world and, you know, from the video game stuff that, mm. you know, basically went out through the PlayStation network. I saw the networks, hard drive to hard drive to hard drive, to console to console to console to console, to mobile to mobile to mobile to mobile, to people to people to people to country to country to country, boof, globalisation. Mm. Like, a, like, a, like a wave just sweeping over everything. And I was like, shit, everything's connected now, woo! <laughs> So like um, that buzzed me out when I had that visual in my head about that mm. process. Mm. Um, I heard music for it, as you do, mm. <laughs> and um, and I um, the music I heard in my head I couldn't do because I didn't have the ability to to visual it to make that sound to make that sound of all of those everyone interconnecting like like syncing like someone syncing a phone with a computer. Mm. <laughs> everyone did it all at the same time. I might have imagined that, but that's what I was seeing through my um, psychosis that everyone was. No longer, we weren't, we weren't alone anymore, we were all connected. Um, uh, virtual globalisation, they call that. Um, networks. Hmm. They're all there, they're everywhere. Hmm. And it's like, okay, so that's the future now. We're all hyper-connected, we're all no longer alone, we all, everything's on demand, this is the future that we live in, and it was exactly like I thought it would be in 2013. And so I kind of had some time to prepare myself for it. <laughs> and then I channeled that delusion and those dark thoughts and fear of that future into something that I could treat like a medium and treat like a stage and, and get my music out there to people and I thought this sounds crazy Jeremy Woo, let's do it anyway <laughs> I sound bonkers <laughs> I sound like one of those crazy musicians that you read about from the 1800s that you know have these crazy thoughts and write opuses yeah man that's me <laughs> sweet ass <laughs> so I just embraced it and, like, and then I thought well at least it'll be entertaining for people. So I've just been trying to learn the, the, the amount of me around and the amount of like how much energy I want to put into that environment and character. And if I am going to do it, I'm going to do the best job that I can when that I'm through my music, which is I've been trained for years through all these things that I've been doing, you know, my childhood, my teenage years and my adulthood life as a performer and a musician. 
and it's like now being a rock star is as simple as copying and pasting a file. <laughs> that is the future. I can write all this beautiful music, record it on anything, it'll mm. cost nothing. Mm. Um, that means I can make any kind of recording medium out of anything. So I you know basically anything that has a USB input that can talk to any type of computer from the last 20 years, I can be a recording medium. Mm. Anything that has any kind of hard drive can be a it can be a hard disk recorder. Anything that has any that can capture sound or modulate that signal can be a microphone. I don't need anything. I've called it spare part studios. Whatever I need at the time. So if, I, if, I, if something breaks, I'll just go down to the op shop and make it. People are throwing away technology like they don't even care. Mm. You know, you've got computers, servers, like um, whole entire radio systems, all these amazing speakers, just down at the tip shop, throwing away. Most of it ends up in the landfill. Mm. I don't know why we do that. It seems a bit stupid. But every time a new technology comes out, it's like we're spending all this money on, you know, getting rid of the old technology. And it ends up in sheds or underground or in the tip shops or in, in the, in the um, waste services. It ends up being an unused resource. And a lot of the time it gets broke, the matter gets broken down and recycled into other things. 90% of the time. Mm. And a lot of times we just bury it like we don't know what to do with it. So it is a funny process and I kind of do find that odd. <laughs> so like I just kind of channeled that stuff into my um, work. I, mean, I love building things out of stuff. And I love, um, you know, giving those types of things but so yeah that's how I, I channeled my psychosis and that's how I got myself well enough to kind of take that extreme version of my life yeah yeah you've um, you've I guess worked on understanding yourself rather than changing yourself yeah because we all change we're already no matter what happens to us we're always yeah the change is happening whether you instigate it or not yeah but understanding yourself is something you have to and, and, and being at, and being at peace with that yeah uh, I, I suffer from really bad physical perceptions of my body. I, I, I lose all touch to my senses. I don't know where I am sometimes. I literally lose weeks. But in those moments, I, I literally got a little book and a little process that I go through to get myself through those moments. I almost go prepare it. It's like camping. <laughs> there'll be people listening to this going like, yeah. you know, how amazing that you can be this frank about this. There's no reason to hide it. Yeah, and there'll be people listening that will have some version of this story in in their yeah. in their life, if not them, then someone they know. It, it is my um, not duty. It is my purpose to do mm. this because this is what is going to happen. Because this is what I kind of believe that what's going to happen. I can't fight that feeling. I want to go. Why would I go through all the things I go through, and why can't I do what I can do if there wasn't some purpose to it? It's a story of surviving, isn't it? Yeah. And why would I be anything more than other than what I am if I wasn't meant to be more than what I was? I'm not anything but Jeremy that loves music and a bit kind of really super intelligent and a bit nuts <laughs> but has gone through these messed up situations that's made me that way and so I'm just a, I'm just a reflection of my environment like nature mm. the wind is blowing through my life and throwing everything all over the place but look at all these seeds that have grown because of that process look at all these different colours that have come out because someone splashed the paints around a little bit look at all these fucked up things that have happened to this guy because of whatever reason that life has dictated that, that what happens based upon preconceptions of what we were, I was supposed to be in the first place, which is a well-adjusted member of society contributing to the, the global machine of commerce mm. to generate a, a, a man-made st structure on a bit of nature land and to spend time with the, the other humans that I've created and fallen in love with. I'm sure there's more to life. 
I um, I, I often get to, I often get to thank people that I speak to for their for their music, and I sometimes get to thank them for their honesty. Yeah. It's not often I get to do both. Oh, cheers, Simon. Um, so thank you so much for for everything that you've shared. You know, yeah, shared. it's a beautiful thing, life, man. It's all really fucked up, but we're all rocking and rolling, man. There's some true rock stars on this planet, mm. and we've got about five billion years before we lose it all. So let's hope we sort our shit out and get out of here. <laughs> Go find a bit more of a bigger place around. Mm. Um, Mars is about like, oh shit, we're not going to make it there. Um, stop wasting money. It's not right. We need to look past that. Um, space travel is only going to happen if we live longer than we live. Um, you know, 80 years as a physical entity with our current bodies is not going to work. So either we virtualize ourselves and transmit ourselves into the cosmos and we live forever. Or we just stay on this planet and let the whole thing get wiped out by a gigantic nuclear furnace. Either way, that's the future. <laughs> that seems like a, a good place for our conversation to end for now. <laughs>